Now let's turn this morning to Philippians chapter 1. And we take time again to read the first 12 verses. Paul's letter to the Philippian church. <coughs> Philippians chapter 1. We'll read again from verse 1 to verse 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. It'd be good if you kept a little marker in your Bible. And at times then read through the chapter. Over the next number of weeks then we'll be expounding at least from Philippians chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timotheus the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my griefs. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 12, and we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 1, Verses 3 to 5. Paul writes, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And my subject today is simply entitled, The Glory of Christian Fellowship. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, some nine or ten years after he had first set foot in the city, I want you to understand that he was a prisoner of Nero, the Roman emperor at the time. History, of course, records that Nero was one of the worst rulers of imperial Rome. He murdered his own mother. He used Christians as human torches to light up his garden on his feast celebrations. He sent Christians to fight the lions in the Colosseum to face gladiators. He had no love for God or for the things of God. He had no love for the men of God or for the people of God. 
And from a human perspective, if you think of the Apostle Paul in prison, his life in a Roman jail hung on the balance every day. Now, we'll ask the question, how did Paul encourage himself in the prison cell? And of course, we could think of how believers today in prison cells across the world for their faith encourage themselves. And I want you to notice from a casual reading of chapter 1 that in jail, Paul didn't wallow in self-pity. He didn't say, poor me. He didn't blame God. He didn't get mad. He didn't decide, you know what? It's better for me to deny Christ and apostatize from him. I'll turn my back on him. Uh-uh. If you look at the text, Paul mentions there making requests with joy. You see, the joy of the Lord, even in prison, was Paul's portion. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And from verse 3, we discover that the man of God spent time in prayer, which I believe no doubt contributed to his joyful spirit and his peaceful countenance, even though the threat of death hung over his head on a daily basis. I want you to notice as well that the Apostle Paul thanks God for them. In prison, he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of the saints at Philippi. They are precious to him. He prays for them. He, he thanks God for them. They're precious to him, of course, because they're, they're precious to Jesus Christ. They had much in common with him because their lives had been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And as he thought of them and union and communion with Christ, it filled him with joy in his heart and in his mind. Now, of course, we have to say it's not easy to give thanks when everything seems and appears to be against you. When perilous times have come, when dark days have seized hold upon you, when you're in a spirit of distress, when you're in discouragement. Remember what the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonian church said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, how is it possible to give thanks to God for other people when you're facing the executioner's sword? When you're in prison in days of distress and difficulty? And here's the answer. Here's how Paul encouraged himself in prison. He fixed his eyes in Christ. He, he, he focused on him. He got his eyes off the situation and the circumstances that he was in and he got them unto Christ. You see, as far as Paul was concerned, the people of God at Philippi were really his crowning joy. He, he loved them. He prayed for them. He lived for them. Their hearts were knit as one in the work of the gospel. He didn't take them for granted. He didn't treat them harshly. He didn't despise any of them. He treated them all equally. He treated them impartially. If you think of the words, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. What reason could Paul have for thanking God for the people in Philippi? Well, what reason could he have for being joyful for them? 
What reason could he have for, for praying for them? And the answer lies in verse 5. If you look at verse 5, for, the word for can be translated because, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day is the day when they first met. Until now, it's nine or ten years later. They obviously weren't present with him in the jailhouse. He knew they were in Philippi. But they were with him in spirit. Their hearts were one with them. The very thought of his fellowship with them in the gospel filled his heart and mind with real, true, pure joy. And we're going to think this morning of the glory of Christian fellowship. What did Paul mean when he wrote, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now? How can we experience the joy of gospel fellowship, even in a difficult time, in a dark day, when hardship and distress has come? I want us to think of this subject this morning under three headings. I want you to think of the substance of Christian fellowship. What does Christian fellowship mean? What does the word fellowship mean? In the Greek, um, the, the word means to share in something. Think of something that you have in common. Think of a partnership. We are familiar with a business partnership, a, a financial partnership. We could even think about a, a spiritual partnership. We could also add into the meaning of the word participation. The word fellowship means a sharing in something, having something in common. It means a partnership. It means a participation. It even means a communion. And of course, there are various kinds of fellowship in the world, a, a social fellowship. Uh, you could have a community fellowship, some community-based activity. You, you could even have a, a military fellowship where, where soldiers, are, our hearts are knit together as one in the battle of a common enemy. Soldiers, of course, supposedly having each other's back. But the Apostle Paul has a very specific but a very precious kind of fellowship in mind. And it's not a social fellowship. It's not a community fellowship. It's not even a military fellowship. It's a fellowship, if you look at it in the text, in the gospel. It's a gospel-orientated fellowship. It's a Christ-centered fellowship. The Apostle Paul is speaking of a bond, of a sharing between people that is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the good news of the person and work of Christ. What brought them together? What knits their hearts together? Was a common interest in the gospel. You see, I believe this morning that the bond of Christian fellowship runs deeper and is stronger than any other bond or kind of fellowship in the world. The Lord Jesus drew an illustration from the strongest bond, bond of fellowship in the world, the family bond. He says over there in Matthew uh, chapter 12, he was speaking to his disciples, and this is what he says in uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. 
Someone had said, Behold thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. And he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand to his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Christian fellowship is grounded in a common love for Christ. It, it springs from a common belief in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 we're told we're called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. See Christian fellowship when we think about it is grounded in fellowship with Christ. As believers share in a common saviour. And at a common salvation. Remember we, we live in an ecumenical age. There is a call today of a coming together of different kinds of faith. There's a call that Christians and Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. Should all be viewed as the, the children of God. And should all come together and form a, a unity and have a, a one world religion. Of course it's true that Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Christians are viewed in one sense as the children of God. In a creative sense, God is the creator of all men. But not and never in a redemptive sense. We don't all worship the same God. We don't worship the same God on the same ground. Such a view, of course, cuts across Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 6. And he says in verse 14, and I read, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord of Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, there's a fellowship today that's wrong. There's a fellowship today abroad that no true believer can participate in. There's a fellowship today that's not Christ-centered or truly Christian. Any fellowship, of course, that denies the person and work of Jesus Christ, or, or denies the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, well, we have to say, well, there's no basis for true fellowship there. When we're looking for fellowship, there, it must be centered on the message of Christ crucified. It must be focused on his atoning death and bloodshedding and Calvary. It, it, it must um, be... Um, Based on the truth of the, the Holy Scriptures. It must tie into the belief of the bodily resurrection of Christ. Think of this morning. A fellowship that's Christ-centered. What does that mean? Let me suggest three little thoughts. It's a fellowship in Christ. By virtue of union with Christ. If you think of the believers at Philippi. Most of them were mainly Gentiles come from a pagan background, probably many of them uneducated, many of them poor saints. 
And here's Paul. And he's a Jew. He's highly educated. He comes from a different background. He also has the right of Roman citizenship. And yet with these people in Philippi, he enjoyed a common salvation. He had been born of the same spirit. He had been joined in a saving union to Christ. And because of Christ and his love for Christ, and because of Paul and these saints being drawn into Christ, they had fellowship one with another. Now, now think of it, having fellowship one with another simply because they're in union with Christ. They're in Christ. And on that basis, because of Christ, we can have fellowship. Also think of a fellowship for Christ. The Philippian church had a burden for Paul, even though he was in prison and in bonds. And, and Paul writes to them and tells them, and we read it in verse 12. He talks there about the furtherance of the gospel. You see, that word fellowship not only means to, to share in something and have something in common. It also means a, a partnership. And they partnered with Paul in the work of the gospel. It wasn't Paul's work. It's God's work. And, and they kept that focus in their mind. And they shared a burden for the work. And they, they had a burden for the cause of Jesus Christ in Macedonia. And, and no doubt in their own city of Philippi. And they knew that Paul had a burden for winning the lost souls for Christ. And they shared that burden with them together. If I could illustrate, I want you to think of uh, fishermen out in the Sea of Galilee. I want you to think of the disciples and they told the Lord Jesus when he came in the morning that they've toiled all night and they have taken nothing. And he, of course, told them to go out, lunch out into the deep, to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And you know the story in Luke 5, how that a great multitude of fishes were caught and uh, the, the net was breaking, the, the, the boat was full, uh, and they summons, the Bible tells us in Luke 5, to their partners to, to come and help them. And those partners had a share in landing the fish. Well, 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 that's the concept. It's not only a fellowship in Christ by virtue of union with him, but it's a fellowship for Christ. It's a sharing in the burden as well as in the blessing. And also it's a fellowship with Christ. If you think with me of what the Apostle Paul says there in uh, verse 7, he says, Ye all are partakers of my grace. In other words, the same grace that existed in Paul was in the hearts and minds of these believers from the very first day that they met. Now that's important. Because here's how. They were able to live. Here's how they were able to stand and speak. They were strengthened and enabled by the grace of God. The gospel came to Philippi, remember. Souls were saved. Lydia was one of the first, a seller of purple down by the river. Think of the demon-possessed girl, how her life was changed and transformed. That rough, ungodly, um, cruel jailer. Great miracles had taken place in the formation of the church. And the even greater miracle was this, that they continued in the gospel. They continued in the fellowship of the gospel. Paul's in prison. They didn't reject the gospel. 
There's many false teachers abroad. They weren't drawn away by false teachers. They didn't um, relax their passion for the gospel. They, they didn't balk at Paul being in prison. No, they continued as Paul had instructed them in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the fellowship of the gospel. They continued, no doubt, in the breaking of bread. And they continued in prayers as Acts 2, 42. Two tells us. And remember, this is nine or ten years after they first met. That's a miracle of the grace of God. The believers continued in the Christian faith, in fellowship one with another, and they did so by the grace of God. How has this congregation survived 41 years from its very um, formation? The answer is by the grace of God. You see, we come from different backgrounds, with different personalities, with different temperaments, with different likes and dislikes, with different little ways, and things annoy us and upset us. But despite all that being true, we, we by the grace of God, have a share in the worship of God. We, we have a share in the work of God. We have a share in witnessing together for the honour and glory of God. Now how? The answer is, by being partakers of his grace. That's how we live and walk for Christ in the world. Christian fellowship is centered in Christ by being in union with Christ. Let me ask this morning, are you in Christ or, or are you still without Christ? If you're in Christ, then I want to ask, are you standing and speaking for the honor and glory of Christ? What does Christ mean to you? Think of his cause. Think of his truth. Think of his righteousness. Let me ask this morning, have you a desire to continue to stand with Christ by the grace of God? Not in your strength and power, not in your own ability, but by the ability that God himself gives in Christ. It's Christ who truly unites his people. True fellowship. The very substance of it. It's a fellowship on the gospel that's grounded and centered in Christ, for Christ, and with Christ. That's the substance. Notice, secondly, and very quickly, the strengthening of Christian fellowship. You see, true Christian fellowship is very practical. True Christian fellowship is visible by certain Actions and expressions. You see, when we think of fellowship, we, we say, well, let's go to the fellowship meeting. Or let's have fellowship one with another. Or, as some people say, there's no fellowship in the church. And you see, sometimes when we think of fellowship, we, we think of being in a certain place. Or to use an Americanism, we, we think of coffee and we think of cookies. And we think uh, of a bit of crack, of course, not that uh, addictive stuff, but, but, but a, a light-hearted banter one with another. And we think of just a, a meeting opportunity. And of course, on a basic level, meeting together in a certain place and having coffee and cookies and a bit of crack, that's fine. We could go further. Some people, when they think of fellowship, think of the Sunday morning service. They think of the Sunday evening service. And we would encourage you to attend the Sunday evening services over these next autumn and winter nights. Remember, it's the Lord's Day and we know there's pressures in many families, but we would encourage you as you're physically able and fit. Some are not and therefore they can't come, but we would encourage you to attend as faithfully as you can the house of God. 
Sometimes we also think on of Sunday morning, Sunday evening, we think of Wednesday night at, at the Bible study and we meet together and we sing and we pray together and read the word and we study the book and we go home, I, I trust, with a little blessing. And, and we think, well, well that's, that's the heart of fellowship. Now, that's an element of fellowship. And of course, that, that's the practical outworking of being in Christ and standing for Christ and being in communion with Christ. But the word fellowship is so rich that it means more than these basic elements of having a meeting opportunity for tea and, and a biscuit and, and, and a bit of chat with each other or, or even meeting together in the same room for a, a time of worship. As I've said, the word fellowship means sharing. It means a partnership, a working together. It means a participation. But it also means a communion. And in the fellowship of God's people, could I suggest there's a supplicating for one another? If you look at verse uh, 4, uh, verse 3 there, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. You see, the Apostle Paul is much in prayer for the church at Philippi. He's remembering them all before the throne of grace. He prayed for them all. He prayed for the children. He prayed for the young people. He prayed for the women. He prayed for the men. He prayed for the elderly. He prayed for the sick. He prayed for those who were in deep trouble and distress. He prayed for them all. And we should pray one for another. Pray for this Three nights of children's meetings this week. Pray for our young people in the church, those that leave school and go to university or go into the, the world of work. Pray for the women in the church. Home with the children. Men are out working. Pray for the men at the workplace. Pray for the elderly. Pray for the sick. Remember the like of Olive and Gareth on a daily basis. You see, when we pray for one another, as the Bible commands us, we're demonstrating that we've got a genuine spirit of love and concern for them. That, that we have a, a genuine offer of specific requests on their behalf. That we have a genuine concern with their true interest and well-being at heart. We're thinking of their needs. What do they need spiritually, physically, materially? In true Christian fellowship, there must be a praying for one another, asking God to help and bless individual saints. And of course, there's the antidote to hatred and to strife and to jealousy and to gossip and to backbiting and to envy. If we're praying for each other, then this, these other spirits that can whelm up because of circumstances and, and little things that we, we do to annoy each other, they, they can be pushed to the one side because there's a supplicating one for another. And if even if someone does you harm and trumps in your toes and annoys, ask God to bless them. Ask God to overrule and help them. Notice secondly, there's not only a supplicating for one another, but there's a supporting one another. You see, this um, word fellowship is so rich in the Greek. It also means supplying a financial contribution. <coughs> These believers at Philippi were supporting the Apostle Paul's ministry. 
And if you turn over there to Romans chapter 15, Romans 15 in the verse um, 26, the Apostle Paul says this, Romans 15 verse 26. He says, For it pleased them of Macedonia, and isn't Philippi the chief city in Macedonia, and Archaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now, do you see the word contribution there? The word contribution is the same Greek word that's translated fellowship in Philippians 1 verse 5. So we could read it, make a certain fellowship for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey was bringing gifts and offerings from Macedonia and Achaia for the poor saints of Jerusalem. And Paul describes it as fellowship. They sought to help in a practical way. Paul's work was their work. Paul's burden was their burden. And they were prepared and willing to help in a, a practical way. And they were doing it in love. And they were doing it in a spirit of generosity. They couldn't physically go to Jerusalem. Maybe some of them had never left Philippi or travelled around Macedonia. But, but they knew the Apostle Paul could go. And, and Paul appreciated their support. And no doubt that the poor saints in Jerusalem appreciated that support as well. Think of this. A Gentile church in Philippi, Macedonia, the Greek-speaking world. And it's largely concerned as part of their fellowship with the needs of others that are less fortunate than themselves. And of course I believe that's a vital part of fellowship. We should not only pray one for another, but we should help one another in times of difficulty and times of need in Christ's name. And we do appreciate your financial supporting of the work of God. All your tithes and offerings, your gifts for the building work. We don't take that lightly. I, I have to, and I know I speak for the office bearers, we don't take one pound of it lightly or one penny. We appreciate it all in the Saviour's name. And what you're doing as you're supporting the work of God, is you're contributing to the well-being of the fellowship. And could I encourage you as a church, if someone's ill, don't be afraid to phone them up. If you haven't got their number, ask them for it. Maybe you could send them a wee card or a text, an email, a wee letter. Keep in touch, especially with those that are ill and their particular needs. You see, that's being practical. And that's being thoughtful. And those things carry a great weight and mean a lot, especially to the individual in time of need. There's also, I say quickly, a sharing with one another. If you look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Think of that. I have you in my heart. These weren't just words. These wasn't just paying lip service to the people of God. He wasn't glossing over their difficulties. He wasn't glossing over their sins or shortcomings. He had to speak to two women in the church that had fallen out to be of the same mind. He was not taken up with himself in prison. He was thinking of the saints. 
and he loves them. And he has a heartfelt, genuine love for them. And he prayed for them from the first day he met them until now, nine or ten years later. And he's thinking about ongoing fellowship. He's thinking about continuation. And he says, daily, as we continue in this journey, I have you in my heart. That's a sharing with one another. If we're on the heart of one another, then we'll be thinking about one another. We'll be praying for one another. We'll be supporting one another. And that is all to do with the strengthening of Christian fellowship. It's not just meeting at church and having a cup of tea and, and having a, a sandwich and, and, and a biscuit. And that's important that we do that. It's not just about singing and offering praise together unto the Lord. That's a vital part of fellowship. But it's about supplicating, supporting and sharing, having one another in our hearts. Can we truly say that we have each other in our hearts? Isn't that a challenging thing? Paul says, I have you in my heart. In the fullness of what that means. I want you to think lastly, the sweetness of Christian fellowship. I want you to look at verse 4, and I want you to think of the last word. Joy. J-O-Y. Not just a, a girl's name, but a, a, a wonderful principle of Christian grace one of the fruits of the spirit you see when Paul prays when Paul thinks about the people of God in his heart as he think about them supporting and sharing in his burden he prays for them with joy he does with delight his happiness He's thinking about the formation of the church those early converts Lydia the, the demon possessed girl the Philippian jailer and others He's thinking about the foundation of the work. It's, 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 it's Christ-centered. It's based on the gospel. It's being true to the blood in the book. He's thinking about the fellowship. How they opened their hearts. And their hearts were opened by the grace of God. And then their homes were opened. Because remember Lydia opened her home. And then their hands were opened. Because they, they were getting involved in the work of God. They, they were sharing with Paul. They had a desire for God's work and God's witness. And isn't that a blessed thing? Think again as we close. Paul's in prison. He's facing imminent death any day. And yet he's joyful. He's thankful. He is confident. Now he's facing death. He, he could be a human torch in the garden. At any corner, at any given moment in time. He could be cast to the lions. He could be made to fight a gladiator. How could he be joyful in that? How could he be thankful? How could he be confident? Do you know the answer? It's all because of Christ. He had his eyes on Christ. Let me say this, and I know Brother Sidney isn't here this morning. Not mind me sharing this. On Friday afternoon, Hugo Duncan was in at Ward 10 of the city hospital. Sister Olive was there. Hugo Duncan was visiting somebody else, but he got speaking to Mrs. Marsh, Olive's mother, and then he got speaking to Olive. They had a wee chat. Hugo Duncan said to Sidney afterwards, he got him by the collar, put him up against the wall, and he said, you know, I have never seen such radiant joy in a woman's face, given what your wife is facing at this moment. 
And how is it possible to be joyful when you get bad news that devastates you? Here's the answer. One word. Christ. That's the answer. All because of Christ. The substance of fellowship is because of Christ. The strengthening of fellowship has to do with the grace of Christ. And the sweetness of fellowship is all because of him and his preciousness to us. The glory of Christian fellowship. I've only scratched the surface. There's loads of other things we could say. We could preach a whole series of messages on Christian fellowship. But I trust that I've whetted your appetite so that you understand when you read this, the fellowship of the gospel. You at least have a better understanding of what this actually means. May the Lord bless you this morning. May the Lord give you that knowledge of Christ in his grace and love.